Jeff has a good question up here. Any tips for making solo arrangements when Ooh. there are melody notes? How far up are we? Pretty fairly far up, maybe halfway up. Jeff, the name Jeff? I don't see Jeff. G-E-O-F. It's between a couple of Pick and Stone and Joe Mascara comments up here. Ah, I wonder if this is our friend Jeff. Any tips on making solo arrangements when there are melody notes that don't fit the chords? Yeah. Thinking intro to tell me a bedtime story or second to last bar mm. of Black Narcissist. How does that not melody? Oh, okay. So this the the beginning to um, little chordy. Put a little chordy up on there. Now. A little chordy. A little chordy's not going to kill him. Kill him, <laughs> right? Okay. So G major, right? This is an interesting thing because I never thought this was really outside of the chord because of how it lies melodically. Yeah. Um, let me take that off and then we can see. Okay. But I guess, you know, that's that's a... Uh, oh, yeah. See? G and C. <laughs> no chord. <laughs> We're going to go buy some supplements. Cordy doesn't know. Um, so look at the shape. This is my recommendation. Look at the shape. I just got that G and C. Look at the shape of the melody, not just the shape of the chord. Of course... We could go G major 13 sharp 11. We could go G major 9, G major 9, flat, you know, sharp 11. But then the melody. That's an A major over G is what's happening here, which is very much, that's what Lydian is, right? So it gives you that major 7. We always think about the, the C sharp as being what makes it Lydian, and that's true. But because we're talking A major... Major seven is part of it too, and the way it flows, gorgeous. In, yeah, the way it flows in the melody, and this is what's so great about Herbie. He's never, he's never in a box kind of guy. Can't be. He can I, I think somebody tried to put him in a box one, and he refused to go. Whew. So the shape of the melody. So when you're improvising, as long as you use it as part of a shape of A major, that's right. Duality of G major and A major, it doesn't sound like it doesn't fit. Now, if you try to be like. Actually, that kind of works too. And all, but, yeah. yeah, well, yeah. that's the thing. Depending on the context, and if you know what you're doing, it's going to work. We've been working over on the daily guided practice session at these red garland spread voicings, mm. something like this. So check out this voicing. Because he famously would do octaves and then put a perfect fifth in there. Yeah. So if you're on A, he would play the E natural, even if it's an F7 chord. Ooh. That doesn't sound bad. That sounds actually nice and crunchy. I never, I've always heard that sound. I never thought about that. That's what it is, man. Wait, hold that down so we can see it in the chordy. Okay, so you got... Yeah, that's exactly what I was hearing it as. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Come on, chordy. Don't say FNC. Say FRG. So, yeah, but so... <laughs> F -R so red, if we red, do a little bit garland. of a... Give me a little F blues bass line here. One, two, three, and... So we're, we could just do typical spread voicings here. But there's always a point where, like in any of these major scales, it happens on the third on dominant chords. That has an E natural yeah. right there. But it works. You know, but it works great. Anyway, there's there's a, sometimes it doesn't work. Like if you're doing like a, a melody that has a very long held long held yeah. note that's really important and that fifth is really crunching like there's a point in autumn leaves where it's like uh no 
No bueno. No bueno. So you could change it to that. But there's somewhere they just like, oh, that's the Red Garland sound. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, and it's always like, you know, for the, so what we both both just talked about is two different kind of things, but it's like two sides of the same coin. Yeah. This is from a voicing standpoint. We're very much like how the intervals are set up and like how the so-called non-core tone is embedded affects whether or not it can work because if you take an f7 and you put that you you stack up thirds where the expectation is but you go major third that's not gonna work no but that shouldn't work because it's really the same thing yeah but it works well it's because because the intervals on top yeah someone pointed out that you know it is part of the the overtone series that if you play an e or sorry if you play an a natural E is right there in the overtone series, even right. just if it's just A. So it's kind of there anyway. Right. You're just kind of doubling it up a little bit. I think it's I think it's beautiful, man. I really do think it's gorgeous. And you can't get that sound unless you go against the grain. Yeah. And so it's the same way with the Herbie thing, though. So even though you're like... There's, it's, and the way that melody flows, too, it makes perfect sense. It would sound so terrible if it was... Uh, that would sound terrible but... <laughs> no <laughs> that would be like your boy from uh, Austria yeah uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Hans Groener Hans Groener yeah well and that's the thing it, it's uh, Hans Groener is hilarious and big shout out to Larry Goldings but that's there, there's there's a, a really important thing in there is like how do we think about hearing music holistically totally so um Whenever we tap into these primal elements of how harmony and melody are connected, like triads, like major scales, like any of the modes, you know, we're, that's a very powerful thing because that's like tapping into history, like history of what people hear. And so, and we can almost play that over anything. Like, just name a random chord for me uh, A7 flat nine. A7. Yeah, the way that melody works. No, you know what? So we've been talking a, a, a lot about melodic minor harmony, too, over the years. Yeah. Right? So let's say we have G melodic minor. And you've always noted, and I know, and I've always known this is true music theory-wise, uh, that's melodic minor ascending, because in a classical music context, you would come down this scale in a natural minor, right? Yeah. And I swear... That the older I get, the more I understand why this works so well. It's really because what we're doing here is pointing towards the fifth. Mm. Yep. So that does not sound as good as... And this is another case here. Check it out. So I can play this chord. A G minor major over... Right, with a, with a I'll have a natural six and a major seven in this chord. That does not sound bad at all. No, it sounds, dare I say, delightful. Doesn't sound outside of the harmony, no. not even a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just like, you know, if, if there's uh, a movie that's really well done, you can have two conversations as long as they're kind of, there's something that either centers both of them so strongly or some kind of like very slightly coherent connection between them in which... 
both these conversations are happening at the same time. And then like the way that the balance is mixed with the sound and everything. That's such a cool thing. I mean, like movies don't have to always be like, ah, dialogue, right? Looking at the camera. Hello. You know, you have these different things going on. I think it's very much the same thing with voicings, with using our two hands with, and even beyond three parts, you know, it's the same thing. Like if you look at, uh, you know, three part fugues, four part fugues, those kind of things. Um, uh, contrapuntal playing, uh, getting several different things. I mean, the human ear has the ability to really hear and 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 digest quite a bit, but it has to be laid out in a way that has some kind of organization. It doesn't have to be totally what you expect or logical, and it shouldn't. And someone's asking this question. I'd like to connect this in with this about uh, do your musical imaginations entail any images or is it pure audiation? And if so, how tight are these images to the piano and keyboard versus Salvador Dali and stuff? So I think that this this is an area I don't necessarily like you know say look at Salvador Dali painting and be like I'm gonna make I'm gonna create a musical inspiration directly on that the shape of that or whatever but talking about going out in nature and stuff and observing things um, nature is so beautiful and pristine just like Salvador Dali's work or any artist that's inspired by nature which I think is all artists all sure. great art totally in some way but it's not perfect from the sense of like if you take a ruler to it you know everything is exactly like some of the beauty is like the way that the leaves overlap on a tree this it's perfectly symmetrical and then when you look closer it's not perfectly symmetrical but it gives you the feeling of it so i think that as we compose and as we improvise and as we play things like things that probably shouldn't work but we play them in a way and by not work i mean not work as seamlessly as it is i remember having trouble i think that's such a beautiful opening like i had trouble transcribing this when i first learned it because i was like this doesn't make any sense yeah i'm like wait so I, I i was just like what is that chord so i think i wrote down like a over g it's not wrong it's not wrong that's true yeah. But then sometimes, like, we get boxed in by nomenclature or, like, how we're going to write something and whatever. And it doesn't matter. It's a sound. It's a vibe. The same way, like, wind coming up on you, you gives you a feeling of something. You don't have to get out and measure it, the PSI of it and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and not to mention just one more thing. I mean, we spent a lot of time on this, but I think it's an important thing. It's our show, damn it. Yeah. Oh, sorry. There's no, and especially Herbie is not thinking, like... There's a box that this harmony has to be in. Right. And there's a scale that goes with this chord. Right. It's all about individual voices working together. Yeah. And if you can figure out a way to get things that don't typically work together. Sounds great. Yeah. Then you're, that's making music and there's no rules to break, really. They're, it's just all about individual voices. Harmony is an illusion, actually. Right. It's a, const it's a false construct, we could almost say, right? Well, it, it's not. Yeah, there's nothing false about it, but it's, it's not... It is something that is to be digested after the fact. The fact that we learn music mostly from these lead sheets that like are very harmony focused, right? Yeah. Is can can be a bit of a detriment. So I actually encourage people, some of my students who I think are in a right a good space for this, and this might be our man here. Um what was our dude's name who suggested this? Uh Du Duamba. Yeah. So like Go check out some old sheet music, some old copyrighted sheet music, and see the way that if you try to put chord changes on it, it's just going to be a big mess. You know, what it is is a bunch of individual voices moving with some of these, like, piano arrangements that are done really, really well. And you could take a tune that you know really, really well and see a piano arrangement from, try to get something from back in the day from some of these good, like, Tin Pan Alley arrangers. Mm -hmm. 
and you could see some harmonic, or even just, you know what, you can find like Gershwin's own or, or Irving Berlin's own arrangements of this stuff and see how they thought of the melody and harmony. And you're going to see mm. that it's, to sketch out a chord change is nuts. Right. You know, it's all about the melody and what the harmony does under it is depending on the melody. So, Totally agree. This is what I'm not even going to say totally agree anymore. I'm just going to do this. Oh, that didn't. Wow. Oh, they could hear it. That was clapping effect but we can't hear it. We're going to talk about that. That's what that's going to solve. That's what, that's that's what I just remember. Totally, yeah. totally, totally. I was, I was giving you some, some clapping. So, Oh, thank you. Cool. No, th- th- this, this kind of stuff. I love, um, I kind of like geeking out on this sort of approach to music more than even like, what is that chord exactly? Or what scale goes with that? Because this gets into an area of like possibilities sure. really for music. Absolutely. And I always want to encourage everybody, don't, I mean, I know a lot of times we can be very dogmatic about practice this, and, and I believe in all that. These are not, um, these are not diametrically opposed concepts. These all work together. It's very much um, like there's a time for dogmatic practice, there's a time for like really mastering fingering of scales and, and learning this. You know, some people take this as an excuse to be like, oh, cool, I can just feel it and just play random shiz it you know yeah and that is not the way to go but when you take this in combination with a very disciplined you know perhaps pujo inspired approach oh the pujo come on now come on um so we oh that could be like pujo 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 what am i doing um that'd be the pujo theme song uh but yeah we can take this a little bit more disciplined practice and then with the imagination of that practice performing and these kind of things let that guide us and let as our ear training really starts to get advanced and very excited for when your forthcoming ear training course comes along because i think that's going to be a real game changer for people that are like i want to get my ears better but how do i do it i'm listening all the time yeah i mean it's kind of like you know, I want to be a better painter, and I look at Salvador Dali websites all the time. How come I'm not getting better? There's got to be a connection and um, a continuum beyond just being an appreciator of something, uh, and then getting turning that into nuts and bolts of stretching yourself, building up the muscles that are necessary for that skills. Yeah, that's why when we start in ear training, we start with intervals and not full on cores, and then you kind of you know break out and and go higher and higher and higher higher up so you're looking at it from the moon talk about intervals Alejandro down here near the bottom asks can you talk about some use of the aug chord which is kind of why I was hinting at this ah because that's a great way yeah. that's a great use of the augmented chord augmented chord okay so Talk about some uses of the aug chord. It's a dominant chord, really. Yeah. yeah. Was, that's a uh, little Richard or something. Woo. So that's some blues. Let's. I mean, the thing, the way to use this, Alejandro, is a dominant, right? And why we use this as a five chord so often, going somewhere, is here's B flat augmented. If you look at the top two notes here, D and uh, F sharp, where are they going? Where are these notes going? Yep. Oh, yeah, you can go either down, way. too. You yeah. can go either way, yeah. Which makes it even a stronger kind of dominant leading situation, right? So it's a great, and it's it's not often used in, in modern contests, but you hear it all the time in, like, pre-rock and roll music. Hear it, hear it a lot of Christmas radio stations. 
Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. No, it's a great chord, man. You can you can also use it as like a coming right before that, right? Oh yeah, yeah. But check this out. Something like this too. Right. It could be like C minor over B, but this also could be like a B augmented. When you get rid of that eleventh, I mean the ninth, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Another use for it, but really, it shines. I think the most as a dominant chord, leading to a one. Yeah, and I think one thing to think about, both from a theoretical standpoint and from uh, actual, you know, practical usage with this, is to make a difference between. Well, we'll take that one. So G, uh, G augmented. If you have, oh, I'm looking to see what Cordy says. Okay, that's actually cool. So when you've got the D, and I mean, I love this sound and use that all the time, but that's not really an augmented sound. It's, it's a different kind of sound because the fifth, this is a flat 13 in this situation. It's not a raised fifth. You know why? Why? Because you've got the fifth. You can't really have the fifth and the raised fifth from a theoretical standpoint. And even from a practical standpoint in that where it would resolve. So if we have that, we... Right? Right. Yeah, so it's more likely to go there. Now, could we find other ways to subvert that? Yeah, probably. But at a minimum, it's kind of good to understand the difference between those and what they sound like and where you could use them. So a strictly augmented... It's a lot easier to go there then. And that can lead to some weaker voicings if you don't understand the difference between those. Yeah. It's a very specific sound. I mean, you think about the difference between like that and that or to your point. Yeah. And I think too, you know, this is one of those sounds that getting kind of a continuum going, you know, I mean, unless you're doing it kind of like Filoni's Monk is, is like a very specific, you know, you know, like that's a, its own thing, though. That, like I mean, a whole tone scale. Oh, it's a whole yeah. tone thing. Yeah, yeah. That's that's like going, but that's really just a combination of a bunch of you know augmented triads is really what it is. But if we think about it from the stamp, what was I going to say? Oh, I, that's right. So if we go G seven, G thirteen, G. Um, no, that's more of a flat 13. Forget it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's right. So the continuum of it is when it's becoming a flat 13. That's going to lead you to that kind of sound where it's like sus, you know, D flat over G, 13, flat 13. A lot of people will be like, oh, that's augmented. And it could be, but it's more likely altered. Right, so that's a, that's that's a variation on it, a variant really, um, but but a little bit different. Whereas the straight augmented, and the ninth I think is very important. Even if you don't play it in the voicing, but you kind of play around with it, yeah, as opposed to the sh the flat nine and the sharp nine, because that's what really leads you into altered territory, totally, right? Totally, you know, which is fun and which is great, but that's not that's not uh, what this is. And the same thing with the sharp eleven. Bam! Bam! That's what we're talking some about. Good stuff. We got some discussion here about the ear training that I've been doing in the daily guided practice session. Yeah. Before Joe, we get to that, yeah. I just want to say one thing, uh -huh. which is how can I get a how? Um, no, I want to just say if you're getting some value or you're being entertained by this, how about giving us a like, 
maybe even a subscribe to this channel. I know a lot of you are probably subscribing, but if you like chatter, information, gonna get sublimation, gonna get all up in. Uh, if you if you're enjoying this, basically is what I'm trying to say. Pat, you know, um, assuage our ego, our egos, assuage, assuage, as well. stroke our egos, um, and give us a like and a thumbs up. That would be, and you know what subscribe to the channel maybe even turn on the bell notifications so that when we go live you'll be right there with us how's that sound that sounds great and you guys are welcome to drop um our our longtime friends you're welcome to drop what you think about this channel maybe there's some lurkers here that are like "Ah, i don't know if i can commit to subscribing to this channel but you can let them know you can do it wrong here there's happy there's happy times here so uh, Joe was asking about the uh, the ear training. It is in the daily get a practice session. We've been doing it sort of at the beginning uh, of the session after our warm up every day. But I've I've kind of decided that I'll, I'm going to make a course out of what we've been doing, Joe. So it's going to be this kind of thirty five minute session course, and then I'm probably going to do just a live thing on Open Studio Pro for ear training. Thirty five minutes. Of Adam talking to you. That's lovely. 35 minutes, and he's gonna tell you what to do to train your ears. Is someone recording this? Can I get this for your the, ears. Could I get this for the theme song? 35 minutes, that's all you need. Bam. Awkward silence. <laughs> All right. What are the questions we got? We got about four more minutes. Um, and then how about this one from Nathaniel? I don't know if this is a four-minute one. What's up, Nathaniel? Can you guys talk about minor six chords and their use as a substitute dominant or a secondary dominant? Minor six chords. Like substitute dominant for what? Oh. Maybe that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, so that's, that's we were talking about drawing on like really primal sort of sounds. That's 5-1 in terms of root movement. Whenever you like come across something, you're like, why does that work? Why does that not work? One thing that you might want to put into your kind of arsenal of, of, of thought process is triads, scales, 5-1 movements, 2-5-1 uh, movements, 1-6-2, like anything that is like very... Uh, structurally primal or potentially so so like not necessarily to play it that way but to understand why it it works like it does so if we look at C minor and then you look at F7 what's the connection there yeah C minor 6 is very uh, either Dorian or melodic minor ascending esque we would say right yeah and so then the F7 in terms of diatonic if you put the F in the root same thing it's either dominant which would be the same as the C Dorian or Lydian dominant. But it's always interesting like how they diverge if you're going to use them together. So like F uh, C minor 7. Should I get some chordy going? Can a brother get some chordy? Um, so that's a lot more of an obvious thing. Whereas C minor, that's C minor 7 to F7. Whereas C minor 6, nothing's changing, right? Because we don't have that. We're just we But I think it works nicely when you go to the ninth. So uh, I don't remember the question. 
It was about, talking about? It was oh, about minus, minus six, six yeah. chords as secondary dominance or... Oh, man. There it is. Bam, bam. Substitute dominant or yeah. secondary dominant. So let's think about it from that. that that's sub subbing for the dominant. I mean, I, what would be the you secondary could, you, dominant? Well, you could also use it as like... Um, if, in, if you're in C minor, like, you know, you can use an F minor six, the four chord. Mm. It really acts more of a, of, a, of a dominant chord than I think a normal plagal cadence could because of that. Yep. Movement of those two notes. Yep. Now, let's talk about something right here. That was um so what you're hearing Adam play there uh, yeah this is kind of what he's talking about the the four minor so he's talking about four minor six to major yeah that. yeah so these are things that like you might say oh, okay well that's so basic what you guys are playing you'd never actually play that but these are the kinds of things that I think that we do here like um, and I know you're really good at this Adam I'll see you doing this like to really understand these things, you break it down into just almost, these are almost like um, uh, the shells, like the classical shell in a way, like the actual, yeah. you know, um, and what the difference of those is, is very important so that when you play, you know, some fancy stuff that's based upon that, we're not, pl I'm not playing, you know, um, not playing those those very root position specific voicings no. but i'm hearing them you know? no if, I, if i'm doing that if i'm if i'm imposing that f minor six to a c major seven i'm doing something like that and maybe it's over a regular two five so the bass player mm. so now you get this sound right yeah almost a phrygian are we phrygian Oh, you know another nice place that goes? So we got, that's like the straight F minor. I that's know where no, you're going. I know where you're going. Go for it. Go for it. Hey. Our time is coming to an end. You'll hear it podcast 2021. Woo. He likes to bend the tones. Cause it's the Hammer 88. <laughs> Makes me want to go. Oh, uh, what? Mm. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. We're here every Monday for some reason, playing for you, taking your questions. We'll be back next Monday at uh, 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for joining us here on the You'll Hear It Podcast. Shout out to our producer, Andrew. Shout out to the pod suite, our associate producer, Peter Martin. <laughs> and second, our executive producer. Our executive Adam producer, Adam Manis. Our uh, craft services, Peter Martin. Craft. Our driver, Peter Martin. <laughs> CEO, Peter Martin. That's how we do it. All right. Cool. Later, y'all. Later. See you. Thank you.